Hey everyone, this is Anthony Grant, and I want to introduce you all to this podcast. It's called Superstar PR, and it's all about entertainment insider chats with Nikki, the founder of the PR agency, Nikki Inc. This podcast chats with some serious entertainers and media insiders, always choosing people who are making a difference in the entertainment world and who have cool stories to share. Happy listening. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Superstar PR. My name is Nikki Papayumanu and I'm your host for this podcast. Thank you all for listening because I think I choose my guests with like the most, you know, positive intentions and they're people I love and the feedback I'm getting is you all really love them too. So today's guest is an amazing Canadian actor and comedian who has opened for comedians like Jerry Seinfeld, Leslie Nielsen, Ellen DeGeneres, she has also hosted events for such visionaries as Deepak Chopra, Tony Robbins, and oh my god, I'm going to say Oprah Winfrey. And I'm so excited to welcome someone who I actually discovered like 10 years ago because she she made me laugh so hard I almost had an accident. And um, I thought to myself, it was before somebody could be Googled. I couldn't find Jessica. And it's actually Jessica Holmes who's with us here today. We found her and she's a guest <laughs> on our podcast and we're so pleased to have you, Jessica. I've put myself on the internet and suddenly my uh, opportunities have tripled. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing. It's amazing. Thank you for being on <laughs> Thanks for now. having me, Nikki. <laughs> How are you today on this fine Saturday? Do you know what? I'm awesome because there's a really beautiful vibe in here. Really lovely, wonderful, happy vibe for a Saturday morning. <laughs> I just don't get how everyone's all made up and purdy already. Oh, Lord. Oh, girl. You know, it's funny. Um, mom of two young babies, this, this morning... And the fact that we're all here, everyone's alive and well, you know, like, I'm just so happy. <laughs> like, it's yeah. a really big thing. Now, in your bio, it mentions that you stumbled upon stand-up comedy mm -hmm. because your university friends dared you. Because I guess they saw in you what I see in you is that you can be oh, so sweet. funny. And it sounds like such a great story. So can you talk to us about what happened there? Sure. Just, uh, I was part of this, just for fun, a sketch comedy troupe at, at Ryerson University. And, uh... Four of us dared each other to try stand up one night when we were out at a bar and we were like, oh, okay, 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 we'll meet back in six months and we'll go to an amateur night together. We'll do it. So I ha I just felt like, oh, creatively, that's a really fun writing project. And, and I wrote my set and we went and did the stand up and it's terrifying. Like I can't even, I've never had such a scared feeling again in my life as when they called my name and I had to walk up. I stole a sip of a stranger's drink because I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Um, but then I, I went up and it's kind of like when the roller coaster, when the bar clamps down and you have this feeling of like, why would I do this? This is a terrible choice. This Bad is a terrible idea. life choice. Yeah. <laughs> but then the roller coaster goes and it's exciting. And when it's over, you're like, I want to go again. But the three people that came out and did stand up with me, um, they just didn't have the stomach for it. They were like, it was really neat. It was a cool exercise, but this is, it's terrifying. It's not the life for me, even though they got laughs, but it's, it's not for everyone. And um, I loved it though. I, I still love it. I, I feel like it's keeping me young to have these, you know, just constant challenges of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a tough crowd. Like, what can I do differently? And learning a new joke, finding new material, it's just the greatest feeling. So I love what I do. It still continues to be scary <laughs> and nerve wracking at times, but um, I guess I like a gamble. Okay, what's scarier, um, being a mom of two kids in diapers or stand-up comedy? <laughs> we had to go there. Okay, the worst day for me was when 
so my kids were so little, maybe they were like two and three or one and two. And uh, my husband and I and the two kids, we all had the same flu. And I called like stuff was coming out of everybody at all. <laughs> and it was awful. I could manage to not throw up for enough time to call Air Farce and say, I can't make it in today. Can anyone take care of us? And they were like, no, what, why would we? No, call your family. Like, gross, and see you tomorrow. Anyhow, it was that was really frightening to me because I was like, shoot, like, the buck stops with us. We're responsible. Even if we're sick, we're still responsible because we don't have family in town. So, yeah, that's it's challenging in the early years, but what a sweet payoff. My kids are 11 and 12 now, and... It's golden. You just have to get through the diaper years. Okay, that's thanks, everyone. You know, like the diaper years are kind of giving me gray hair, but thank you for that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It just gets easier and easier and better and better. And now, like with breakfast this morning, my son and I played poker. Like we had the poker chips out and we're just eating our pancakes. I'm drinking my coffee with poker. Like, when would life ever be better? No, like what a perfect moment. How cool are you teaching him how to play poker? (laughs) I was like, well, on one level, I was like, this is probably not the best role modeling. But you know what? (laughs) I um, we're not playing for money. We're just playing for the chips. Um, and kids got to learn somewhere. Well, you know what? I love that you said that. I think that's like street credibility. My mom taught me how to play blackjack and my dad was like, don't teach our daughter that. But you know, I walked into a casino maybe three times in my life and I got to do the fun table. I got to sit at the table and play like the mind game of blackjack. And I thought this is so cool. Thanks mom. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my feeling is too. I was raised, um, in my house. My mom was like a very staunch feminist and my dad was a very, um, hardcore Mormon. I don't know how they stay happily married, but they do. But so I grew up not being allowed to do anything. Like I couldn't go out late with the boys. I couldn't drink. I couldn't, there was a lot of like, can't, and you can't gamble. You can't drink coffee, all of it. And then of course, the first thing I did when I was 15, I was like, I'm going to go in the car with the boys. I'm going to drink. I'm going to have coffee. I'm going to get, so I just felt like I'm going to try it a little differently with my kids and just be open with them about everything. Like, so before I dealt out the cards, I explained to my son, gambling is an addiction and we never play for money because blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, So I feel like if you're just transparent, then this is, this is how I'm doing it. My parents did it their way. I'm trying it this way. And I'll let you know in 10 years. Okay. If, I feel if they like crash and I need or... to know in 10 years, cause I'll be at the point you're at now. And I like what I hear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you open for Ellen. Ellen is like, honestly, Ellen's like the happy point in my day every day. Oh, sweet. I laugh at the TV. So what was that like? So it was incredible, but here is the world that she lives in. She got I was like, okay, well, I'm emceeing this day. I'm going to meet her. I'm going to get a photo with her. But I couldn't even meet her. Like, no one can get near her. She has 30 bodyguards that form, like, a power circle around her. And even if you just look in the direction, the security guards are like, don't. Don't go there. It's so strict. And I felt, I, I was like, oh, this is a really weird, what a weird way to live. But then when she got on stage, she explained, she has about 20,000 people every day saying, I just need two seconds of your time. I just need two seconds of your time. And she said for a while, she tried to live that way where she would give everybody two seconds of her time. And then she said, of course, she was like totally burnt out and had nothing left for herself. So she said, she has to live this way. But she said, I do love people. That's why I do my show every day. I genuinely love people. I love you guys. I just don't have two seconds a day for 20,000 people. So, so it was, it was like a learning experience for me. It actually made me realize, um, my ambition when I started in my career was like, I want to be rich, rich, rich. I want to be famous, famous, famous. I want to be a giant comedy star. 
And that was a bit of a turning point for me because I was like, I, j- I think I just really love my life how it is now. I love doing comedy. I don't think I ever want to be more famous than, than I am right now. And interesting, it's beautiful, especially because I've got kids, right? Like I don't want to go be interrupted 30 times a day when I'm with them. It's yes. so I, I love Ellen. I love what she does. Um, and it was, I guess I'm just, I'm super happy in the middle, well, no, <laughs> wherever like, I'm at. Yeah, That's amazing what you said. I mean, cause nobody would know that about Ellen. Nobody would know, I guess. And for her also how guarded she has to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I, the misconception around comedy, I want to ask you, what is it that you think nobody understands about being a comedian and the vulnerability of being on stage? For sure. Okay, so uh, the vulnerability of being on stage is something you get used to. Like, you get used to the fact that there are just audiences that are harder than others. There are room setups that are bad. There are sound systems that can, you know, make you miss a word here and there, and then suddenly it makes it a show with less laughs. And that part hurts. But I would say the most vulnerable thing about a comedian is going on the road. So for example, last week, I uh, had a couple of shows in Atlantic City. I only had two 20 minute shows, but I had to be at the hotel for four days. I don't know anyone there. I miss my kids, my kids are at home. But the more I talk to other comedians, the more they share with me, like, that's the hard part about being a comedian. The Mm. stage is rewarding, like you do a good job usually a show goes really well, you get lots of applause, you get lots of laughs, that's gratifying. It's a it's a valid trade off. But going away from your family, like, to where you're a stranger in a strange place, it's um, that part is hard. And so I, I've just had to find coping mechanisms, like, I run every single day, I do little workouts, I make sure I phone at least a couple of people every day, just to you know, just to keep the the ties going and stuff like that. So I think that would be a surprising thing about about comedy. And it's it's across the board. It's the same with all comedians. Fascinating. Um, yeah. I interviewed Angelo Tsarukas and he said to me that this is a lonely life. It is. Comedy is lonely because like you just said, you do a set, you have an applause, but then the time in between... You don't have your entourage. You don't have your family with you. So you know what? That's like a really good kind of insight. Well, and here's something I recently heard from another comedian. They were like, it's a chosen loneliness, which is even more hard for people to understand because after a show, there are 30 people who would love to sit down and have a drink with you. And then you can, like, I could easily have found people to hang out with for those four days. But um, when you're kind of trying to get into the mindset for a show, you feel a bit like, okay, you know, I kind of want to keep my adrenaline low. I want to keep today low key. Um, so you're, there are people available. You just kind of become a bit insular. So to prepare for your show. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing and I'm still getting used to it, but I would say that's insular. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, um, it's something that I'm still getting used to. Yeah. Okay. Um, 20 years in. (laughs) 20 years in. You like, I, I think it's, it's very interesting that you point that out just because I would also say that the performers I work with Mm -hmm. who are in trailers and on movie sets, you know, point out how much they just miss family. Yeah. And they miss some of the important things happening with family. Yes. Yeah. But you're following a dream and I'm sure your family loves that you're a comedian. Well, and it would be harder except that my, my husband is, uh, was a performer as well. So he fully gets it. And so sometimes he has to miss some of the kids' milestones. Sometimes I miss some of the kids' milestones. But the way I thought about it was, in a divorced family, you will only ever be with one parent at a time. So parents are going to miss half of stuff. Whereas with me, I'm probably on the road on average, let's say six or seven days a month. Um, 
And so I have had to miss out on a couple of things here and there. And it's, it's painful. It's not something you'd ever be like, Oh, I just get used to missing out on, <laughs> on my kids and stuff. Like, I love them. But what I've discovered is the only thing I can do about it other than quitting my career, which I'm not going to do, is when I'm with them, I'm present. So I try and leave my phone in the other room. We have one table that's our media table and that's where the phone lives. And if you want to be on your phone, you go sit at that table. But if you're in the rest of the house, you belong to the family. And this is your time with family. So now that I do that, I don't feel as guilty because I'm like, well, these guys get the best of me. I'm pretty much there every day when they get home from school at 3.15, except for those six or seven days a month. Yeah. So it's, there's ups and downs to every single job and grass is greener. And I've just accepted this is my, this is my life. So um, if you were, if you could complete the sentence um, with three things, because it is, you know, the time of talking about gratitude right now, this weekend is great. And gratitude is like something I wake up with every day. Um, What are the three things you're the most grateful for today? Oh my gosh, I am grateful for how fun my kids are. We laugh a lot. I am grateful. It was my anniversary with my husband yesterday. I'm grateful. Thank you. Um, I'm really grateful for what a rock he is, but that we also balance each other out. Like my shortcomings are his strong suits. His shortcomings are my strong suits. And, uh, and we've just accepted that we don't have to be two perfect people in a marriage. We can just be two incomplete people who come together and like are very in love and very supportive of each other. So that was kind of a cool place to get to. And the third thing I'm grateful for is just uh, nature. I'm grateful that I'm going to go take my dog out this afternoon at the park. I love it. I love it. Now you uh, released a book last year called depression is the comedy. It's just called depression. The comedy depression, the Mm -hmm. comedy it's available on Amazon. Um, Talk to me about this book and what inspired you to write it. Are you the sole author? Yes, I'm the sole author. It's uh, basically, I went through depression about five years ago. I think it was quite related to career. Um, And so it lasted about two years and it was really hard for me to get off the sofa. I didn't understand what was happening. And even after I got diagnosed with depression, the people around me didn't understand it and didn't really know how to be supportive and stuff. And there were so many sad books out there about depression. And I didn't want to read those because they're triggering. Um, So I just decided I'm going to write a book kind of in stand up style. And it'll just be about my experience. I am in no way making fun of depression because it's an awful, awful thing. But I thought maybe the (laughs) like I make a list of things I blamed it on when I didn't think it was depression. Like I think it's just low iron. I think it's just being an actor. I think it's just like (laughs) those kind of things or saying, well, you know, if my husband didn't leave his giant shoes at the front door, I wouldn't lose my temper all the time because he just clutters the place up. Like, so it's just coming up with, um, different ways of looking at my life and how my life had to change. And and then ways that I found balance and, Now, every single day, I do a little checklist of things that are great for my mental health. And I have to say, at the start, I thought, this is unfair. Why do I have to do these things? No one else has to do them. And now I just feel like I have the best life in the world because I do those things. What's more fun than taking care of your mental health, getting happy? Yes. Nothing. I love it. Yeah. And getting happy, you know, um, by not comparing yourself to anything anyone says you're supposed to be. Yeah. And and also just not comparing myself to others, period. Like, my thing is, the TV is my best friend. It's my special, <laughs> happy place that I go to. But then I'm also watching peers of mine that I competed with for a job, I'm watching them get the roles that that I might have wanted. And uh, 
so when I was in the depression, it was just really hard for me. And even sometimes now I find myself feeling like feeling FOMO, feeling like, hey, why are all these other people are always doing things that are more exciting than me, more this than me, more that than me. But then I know someone sitting at home thinking, hey, why does Jessica Holmes get to have, I don't know, those shoes? <laughs> or so why funny. does she get to go be in that city for a couple of days doing whatever? Um, so yeah, it's a work in progress, I guess, just making sure that I don't have FOMO, that I calm down uh, when I start getting super jealous of like what's going on in the industry. And um, and I try and just be real about that, like to acknowledge, yep, I have that feeling today. I guess it's one of those days. Now, what am I going to do that gets me out of this? I think you're amazing. <laughs> and I almost just want to be like, come here. Let's introduce <laughs> you to just all these casting people I know. Oh, um, that's so sweet. Because the casting people right next door, do you know them? Man casting? I do. I do. Okay. Do you know what, though? I started when I came out of the depression. Um, part of what I realized was what really fills up my soul is doing these keynotes that I do. So like, for example, a car company will call and say, Hey, can you, we need an entertainer for our thing, or we need a motivational speaker this morning for our AGM. And I show up and do that. And it, it became such a better lifestyle for me because it's shorter hours, but it's also complete autonomy. I, it's just me reading the audience thinking, okay, are they in the mood for this kind of joke? Oh, they are. Okay, I'll, I'll give more of this kind of joke. I'll, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling inspired today. I think the universe wants me to share this anecdote and I'll share a beautiful anecdote about something. And so I just love that kind of work. And that's what I've gotten more and more into. And now I don't have the same kind of passion or time for acting. And I still do it. I have a web series I'm shooting this month. Um, so I still do that kind of thing. But um I'm trying to listen to my soul and my soul is really saying hop on stage by yourself. Oh my God, you're so good at that. Oh, that's thank where you. I first saw you. And I thought like you were better than the people that came after you and oh, everybody was so wondering sweet. where you went and this was before social media again, right. but now like <laughs> it's good. We can find you and we can share you. And this is great. Oh, thank you. Now, I mean, some of the things that make me laugh are your impersonation of Celine Dion, which I asked you to do when we weren't on air. Um, but that was a great Celine. Do you know what? You appreciated it so much that I'm going to share a little more now. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> so listen, if Celine Dion was here doing the podcast, she would simply say to you, Nikki, I think it's a very special miracle for you to have me here. And I'm very excited to share with you a duet I'm working on. It's a duet with myself. Near, far, wherever you are, I believe that the heart does go on and on. That's the lullaby I sing to my baby every <laughs> night. And they always say, Mama, shh, it's so beautiful. There, Nikki, you have a double dose of Celine impressions. That was amazing. Now, come on, like, I, Celine, we might have to tag her in this so she can see. Has she seen you do an impersonation of her? Oh, don't tag her. I feel like she's so wonderful. It would make me cry if she was like, oh, please don't do that. Please don't make fun of me. Okay, okay, well. <laughs> I'm trying we'll, to sneak under the radar. We'll think of how we can do that. Long impressions of her. Um, who, who do you admire? Who is the person who has the career and you're just like, I love it. Um, there's a woman in the States. She's called a stress expert. Her name's Loretta LaRoche. And she is so funny, but 
she's a stress expert. She goes and gives these keynote talks that help people calm down in life and accept that, you know, her, her joke is like a wet towel on the bed is not a serial killer, like chill out people. (laughs) Um, but she's very, very funny. And, uh, I've, I've gotten to MC for her before and I just love her. So when I think about like, where am I trying to get, um, I feel so happy where I'm at now. I, I guess I just want more of the same, but definitely following her as inspiration. Okay. You mentioned a web series you're working on. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about that? Yes. It's called the communist daughter and, uh, it's produced and directed by my friend Leah Cameron. And, uh, we're just going to start shooting this month and I play, just kind of a sweet mom who um, just, you know, is uh, sometimes a bit um, quirky and overwhelmed by life, but excited. And uh, that comes naturally to me because I feel like that's a little how my mom is. So I'm kind of playing a younger version of my mom. Okay, best career advice you've been given that you might want to share with our audience? Oh, man. Aspiring comedians? Uh, Best advice would be um, to always follow your own gut, like get advice when you can get advice. But the lesson I seem to learn over and over again is when I let other people derail my ideas. um, I, I pay for it because I'm not really giving me like anyone can do what someone else tells you to do, but only you know what's in your heart and what you can bring to the stage. So I think the the best performers out there are ones who are sticking to their guns and and saying, no, this is my thing. Even even last week, I started working on um, a new demo for the type of work I like doing. And some people were giving me advice like, no, I think you should focus more on this part or that part. And then I just realized at the end of the day, I don't, I'm not going <laughs> to check in with anyone else on this anymore, because I know what I want my career to look like, what I want my future to look like, and I'm going to make a demo that reflects it. So yeah. love it. I want to hear the demo. Awesome. And I won't make any comments. <laughs> I'll just like it. Yeah, this well, listen, I still I still want people's feedback, but it it's more I should take that feedback and put it in a blender with my own feelings and instincts and stuff too. Absolutely. Um now if I were to say to you, dead or alive, you could have lunch with anybody and probably an entertainer, who would that be? Dave Chappelle. Really? Yeah, only because I'm I'm amazed by his comedy. I'm amazed that he genuinely doesn't seem to care what anyone thinks. His comedy is really controversial, but he's also a genius. And I would just, I would just be curious. I'd be curious. Like, what's the dude going to say? What's he going to say? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What's he going to (laughs) order? You know what? Like, there's something to be said um, for the people who just say what they want and who are a little bit controversial. Because I think, you know, we're in a world where sometimes we over filter things that's a conversation for next time though. And now um, what I want to ask you is how can our, our listeners find you? Because I would love to interview you again and I want more people start to start following you. So can you share your handles with us? Sweet. Yes. Uh, For Twitter and Instagram, I'm at happy feet homes and my website is just jessicaholmes.com. I love it. Thank you so much for being on Superstar PR. I think you're amazing. And um, your Celine Dion impression is probably (laughs) my favorite thing today. So thank you and keep shining, Jessica. That's beautiful, Nikki. Thank you.